I couldn't agree more that short-term trips are well worth it, and I hope that some of you who have thought about it will think some more and pray about it and be a part of the next opportunity to one of these foreign lands. By the way, some of you may have heard, if you have not, uh, let me tell you that the elders have decided that it would be wise for us not to send our youth to Guatemala this summer because of the current situation there. And so our youth are working on another opportunity for a missionary service and we'll be making a decision about that shortly. Let's open our Bibles together, please, to the book of Genesis and the 12th chapter. Am I coming across loud and clear to you? Okay, good. It doesn't sound that way to me, but I'll wash my ears better next week. Among the idol worshipers of Ur, God chose Abram to know him. He called Abram to go forth from his civilized but pagan past and gave Abram promises to believe. God would give him a land and a great name. God would make him a great nation. And through him, God would bless all the families of the earth. In taking this action, God was initiating a new beginning while continuing to fulfill his promise to Adam and Eve to bring about a seed who would be the savior of their race. The promises to Abram, as initially stated here in chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, may be viewed as a suzerainty treaty, that is, an arrangement whereby the powerful feudal lord provided protection with stipulations and promises for a particular family or community. In this case, the sovereign God is providing protection and promises for Abram and his descendants. God would divinely care for him and for his interests in response to Abram's obedient faith. Abram therefore left his past, although partially at first. That cost him delay in Haran, as we saw last week. But after his father's death, Abram resumed his journey and came into the land of God's promise and blessing. Our friend John Salehammer, writing for the Expositor's Bible Commentary, points to a recurring theme in the narratives of Genesis. That theme, he says, is the threat to God's promise in verses 1 through 3. In nearly every episode that follows, the promise of a numerous seed, blessing to all peoples on earth, or the gift of the land, is placed in jeopardy by the actions of the characters of the narrative. The promise looks as if it will fail. In the face of such a threat, however, the narratives show that God, is always, God always remains faithful to his word and that he himself enters the arena and safeguards the promise. Man's failure cannot stand in the way of God's promise. Not even Abram's failure can foil what God has promised him. I'm going to begin reading in verse 10 of Genesis 12. Now, 
There was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. And it came about when he came near to Egypt that he said to Sarai, his wife, <clears throat> see, see now, I know that you are a beautiful woman, and it will come about when the Egyptians see you that they will say, this is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will let you live. Please say that you are my sister, so that it may go well with me because of you, and that I may live on account of you. And it came about when Abram came into Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful, and Pharaoh's officials saw her and praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. Therefore he treated Abram well for her sake, and gave him sheep and oxen and donkeys and male and female servants and female camels, uh, donkeys and camels. And the Lord struck Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. Then Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say, She is my sister, so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and get out. And Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him. And they escorted him away with his wife and all that belonged to him. So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev, he and his wife and all that belonged to him, and Lot was with him. Now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold, and he went on his journey from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, and to the place of the altar which he had made there formerly. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. We note in our text today that Abram the believer became Abram the schemer. Spiritually, Abram slid backward or downward. He stopped walking by faith and began walking by sight. It leads me to a message today regarding this matter of backsliding. And to say for the learning of all of us that backsliding is costly. And the only escape from it is to turn back from whence we came. No one is immune to backsliding, not even the man here who was the friend of God. We need to examine what happened here so that we can avoid making the same mistakes that Abram made. So let's look first at the cause of the backsliding. The cause of backsliding. To boil it down to one simple idea, the cause of all backsliding really is a wrong choice in response to a test. Making a wrong choice in response to a test that comes into our lives. Tests or trials are a part of the spiritual pilgrim's experience. God brings them to us to try the quality of our faith and to, to help us build our faith strongly. That's why James says in the first chapter of his book, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Tests are points 
of uncertainty or stress or opportunity that come into our lives. Undoubtedly, most of us this morning are involved in some test, be it an uncertainty, a stress, or an opportunity that God has brought to us. To this test, we can respond positively or negatively. We can face this test by faith, or we can face it by the flesh. For Abram, the test was the famine that was in the land. It was a severe famine. He chose to do what was actually normal and reasonable from a merely human perspective. The ancient Egyptian border records show that it was customary for Asiatics to be given refuge in Egypt in times of famine. This was a very normal thing that Abram did, but God had not called Abram to the land of Canaan, the place of blessing. In the midst of the trial in the land, Abram did the pragmatic thing, pragmatic thing. He forsook the place of God's blessing, however, in doing so. How easy it is for you and me in the midst of a test to do what seems right, what seems normal because everyone responds this way, or to choose the route that is pragmatic for us. But how careful we must be that we not lose the place of God's blessing in our lives in responding that way. What is your famine this morning? What is the place of test you are facing? Donald Gray Barnhouse, in his book on Genesis, says, The enemy will always oppose us, and the famine will teach us that the land is a land of promise and not a land of present contentment. Notice how he says that. At times the walk with God will be such that even faith will hardly know where to turn. Yet such is the path. For the question is, can we be satisfied with God? And many a weary step is trodden before we have made this attainment. Let me repeat what he says again. The famine will teach us that the land is a land of promise and not a land of present contentment. W.H. Griffith Thomas writes, Abram went outside of the path of God's will. He was occupied with circumstances instead of with God. He only saw the famine, not the divine faithfulness. I don't know about you, but that describes me too often. In the midst of the test, I see the circumstances and not God. But oh, how we need to learn to answer that question positively. Can we be satisfied with God? The writer of Proverbs says, He that trusteth his own heart is a fool. How prone we all are to trust our own hearts in the midst of a test. And so I encourage all of us to remember this, that every test in my life and yours can draw us to God or away from God. 
It depends upon how we respond to that test. The cause of backsliding is a wrong choice in response to a test. Now looking at Abraham's experience, secondly notice with me the cost of backsliding. The cost of backsliding. It is an expensive thing to backslide and to leave the place of God's blessing and fellowship. Notice, first of all, that a backslider compromises his own integrity. Abraham did. He lied. Now, technically, yes, it was a half-truth regarding Sarai, but a half-truth is also a half of a lie. What Abram did here actually was very acceptable in that culture of that day. Again, Abram yields to the cultural influence in which he had grown up. In fact, he even may have rationalized this act as necessary in order for him to live and to have the descendants that God had promised to him. Can you track with him in that kind of rationale? If we don't do something, I'm going to be killed and God's promise isn't going to be fulfilled. And so we've got to do something and here's what we will do. But it was a self-centered scheme. Here Abraham exposes a lack of understanding of the high position that God gives to marriage. Thom Hopler, writing in a book newly entitled Reaching the World Next Door, says many people read the book of Genesis with their 20th century morality in mind, but we have to recognize that God plucked out of savage, alienated mankind a family that he chose to redeem. Keeping this in view, we can see how God taught Abraham, Abraham's family a second principle that is the sanctity of marriage. Abraham and Sarah's relationship was typical for the culture they came out of. Marriage was important, but not sacred. Since he does not know any better, that is Abram, God intervenes to teach him something new. Abram needed to learn how sacred and special marriage is. And so God took him through this experience and positively wrote that upon his heart. Now, unfortunately, he didn't entirely learn the lesson because he repeats it again in Gerar in chapter 20. But what we see here is that a backslider lives a lie. A backslider lives a lie, denying some aspect of his own identity as God's pilgrim. Secondly, I notice this cost, that a backslider loses his testimony. <clears throat> Abram's failure left him unable to communicate a positive message about his God to Pharaoh or to the Egyptians. In fact, pagan Pharaoh rebukes Abram. And Abram leaves Egypt in disgrace. Again, Barnhouse summarizes it well when he says, When God intervened and plagued the house of Pharaoh, Abram suffered the shame and humiliation of a man who, having been an ambassador for God, was sent away like a dog with his tail between his legs. Abram left Egypt disgraced and in shame. 
And so we see that one of the costs of backsliding is that a backslider dishonors the name of the Lord. A third cost of backsliding is that a backslider causes consequences. A backslider causes consequences. Notice the consequences in Pharaoh's life. All kinds of problems and plagues that he experienced. He caused consequences for Egypt. I think without reading very much into the text, we can say that Abram caused consequences in the life of his nephew, Lot, who was with him on this journey, and who seems to have developed a heightened taste for a lifestyle that will eventually destroy his own life and divide Abram's family. And then we see another consequence, and that is that Sarai returned from Egypt apparently with a handmaiden whose name was Hagar, who not very long from now will become an issue for them and whose descendants through Abram still molest the sons of Isaac and Jacob. The consequences of what Abram did in going down to Egypt, friends, are still being played out in the Middle East today. And so it is when you and I backslide. There are consequences that we bring upon ourselves, our families, the people who know us, the people who are involved with us in our backsliding. We bring consequences on all of that. And when we begin to tally up the cost of backsliding, we see that it's not a very good thing to do. But yet there is another cost that I see in backsliding, and that is a backslider wastes his own life. Nothing positive came out of this time in Egypt. How long Abram was there, we are not told exactly, but it was a period of time uh, in which he was enriched materially. Sometimes we imagine that if we are gaining materially, then God must be pleased with us. I would have you notice that Abram came out of Egypt a richer man, but God was not pleased. In his time in Egypt, Abram did not fellowship with God. He did not serve God's purpose in his life, although God accomplished his purpose despite Abram's backsliding. A backslider squanders opportunities for life significance because every day that I spend in backsliding is a day that I have wasted that might have been used in significance for God's kingdom. Now look at those four costs of backsliding and tell me if it's worth it. If it's worth the, the, the brief pleasure that we might receive or the, the riches that we might gain by going down to Egypt. And by the way, Egypt, symbolically in the scriptures, always represents the world. Going to the world. Abram was called out of the world of Ur, by God, but now backslides again into the world in this time of test. Well, thirdly, let's go on to the correction of backsliding because that's an important thing for all of us to know about. How do we recover from backsliding? Because it may be that some of us today have begun to weigh the costs of where we have been. 
We've begun to see how our lives have begun to deteriorate and others around us influenced badly because of our disobedience to God. Maybe we began this backsliding thinking it was the right thing to do, the pragmatic thing to do, and now we're beginning to see this is wrong. How do we recover from that? Well, I notice Abram gives us an example. He tells us, he tells us by his example in the first place that we recover from backsliding by returning to our calling. Abraham here had to return to where he had left off walking with God. To recover from your backsliding, return to your calling. For Abram, it was to go back to the land of promise. For you, it means going back to that place where you left God. Going back to that place where you departed from the, the pilgrimage to go into the world. Being honest with yourself about it and with others. Secondly, it means to recover your identity. To correct the backsliding in your life, you must recover your identity as a pilgrim and begin again walking by faith, not by sight. Abram went back to the tent. The tent is not mentioned in the time he was in Egypt. But when he comes up out of Egypt, he begins again, it says, living in the tent. He saw himself as a pilgrim. You and I need to do the same. Instead of living for this world, we need to live for another world. Instead of adopting the values of our culture, we need to live by the, the values of God's kingdom and recover our identity as pilgrims. Third, to recover and correct the backsliding in your life, renew your fellowship, worshiping the Lord. Abram went back to the altar that he had constructed, and there he called upon the name of the Lord. You and I can only recover from backsliding when we have renewed our fellowship with God. We have come to the altar, and there we have acknowledged our sin to the Lord, and we have offered ourselves afresh as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to Him. And we have called upon the name of the Lord and proclaimed His name as being the Lord of our lives. Then and only then, can we safely say that we are out of Egypt? For some of us today who may not be in backsliding, how can we avoid getting there? What can we build into our lives to keep us from failing in the time of test, and making the wrong choice that will lead us into the world? I like the way that Griffith Thomas just boils it down to two simple words, trust and truth. You and I will keep from backsliding when we walk in faith, when we are trusting God, when we keep our eyes on Him and on His promises and not on the circumstances of our trials. We need to keep our focus on the Lord. That's trust. But secondly, it's truth. We will build a a barrier, a protection in our lives against going to Egypt if we learn to walk in truth, to be honest and truthful in our actions, and to guard our hearts against the compromise of deceit. 
This is a New Testament message. To walk in faith and to walk in truth. And as long as you and I do that, then we will deliver ourselves by God's grace from going into Egypt. I like what we learn here about God, though. When we have blown it, God is still the God of new beginnings. The God of Abraham is the God of new beginnings. If you and I indulge in backsliding, it will cost us. The only escape that we have from backsliding is to turn back to God and to meet God at the place where we left him. And, and frankly, I don't know what that might mean for you this morning. But God does. And if you don't know, God can tell you. My plea to you is to come back to that place where you may have left him. Because that is the place where God is waiting. Waiting for you to come back to the altar. To come back to call upon his name. You say, can't God use my backsliding? Of course he can. God is bigger than all of our problems. God can forgive us of our backsliding. But you notice that God doesn't always deliver us from the consequences of our backsliding. So the point that I'm making is that we need to get back to that place of fellowship with God, back to the altar. We need to see ourselves as pilgrims walking by faith with God, living in tents as it were in this world. That is where God wants to meet you this morning. Will you come back to that place and bow the knee? I hope you will. Let's pray. You know, we sing that song that says, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. But the fact is that all of us who are believers have at some time in our lives, and maybe even right now, turned back. May God help us. May God be gracious to us to give us hearts of repentance. If you find yourself this morning in an Egypt of your life, Will you come back to the altar? Will you come back to the place of blessing? Will you come back to fellowship with God? And let your life be invested in what is significant for eternity. If that is the desire and the prayer of your heart this morning and you're humbled before God, I want to invite you simply to lift your hand and say, Pastor, that is my prayer this morning. I want to walk with Abraham back to the place of blessing. I've been in Egypt too long. Would you lift your hand and put it down? God bless you. Yes. God sees your hands. God knows. Thank you for being honest. That's where it begins. Tell the Lord about it. Repent of it. Recover your identity. 
Renew your fellowship with him. Do it today. Let's stand with our heads bowed, please. Would you sing with me the second verse of that song? The world behind me, the cross before me. The world behind me, the cross before me. The world behind me, the cross before me. No turning back, no turning back. Father, I pray that we today will put into place in our lives, if we've not done so already, both trust and truth. That these might be a barrier to keep us from going into Egypt. Father, if we are in Egypt and don't know it, we're not convicted of it, would you please deliver us from that lie and that deceit? For no deceit is perhaps greater than self-deceit. Open our eyes to see where our walk is this morning. And may these who have honestly lifted their hand come back to the place of blessing. Lord, draw them back with your cords of everlasting love. And let today be a new beginning in their lives. And bless them in their renewed walk as pilgrims for God in this world. And this week, Father, as we seek to be your faithful pilgrims, may we walk by faith and walk in truth. For your glory and honor, in Jesus' name, amen.